0: You talk about 16 years ago where you started. I was born over one or two hills from here, Oxnard, California, <laughs> 1953. And here I am tonight in Thousand Oaks. Remember Jungle Land? That's, that's how we knew Thousand Oaks. It was Jungle Land. And then there was a the Camarillo Hospital that all of us little kids were scared of because that's the one place you didn't really want to go. And now it's a college, right? Well, it's been a long journey from there to here, and that's what I hope to talk to you tonight about. Uh, One of the songs we sang earlier was about letting there be light. In the Hebrew Bible, it's Yahi Or, Va Yahi Or, let there be light. Fiat lux, the the motto of the University of California in Latin is the same thing. I did go to Davis. I graduated there in entomology, and I used to work in the citrus orchards literally right here, up into San Bernardino, back out to Piru, and, uh, here, and here and there, over in Moore Park. And uh, that was my first profession. I was an entomologist. And my first job was in Santa Paula at the, what they call the Associates Insectary, which I may still be there. And then I went to the University of California, went back to grad school, Riverside this time, And graduated from there. And ended up traveling all over the world as an entomologist. My specialty was ants. (laughs) Yeah, like what in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China, right? You'd be amazed how much it has to do. Because if you're an entomologist and you're a good one, you make a living at it. There are two main qualities attributes that you have to have in order to be a good one. In other words, to help the farmer save money and not ruin his crop or lose his, reduce his profit margin. One of them is careful attention to detail because, you know, bugs have more little parts on their bodies and there's more of them than any other kind of living creature in the world. So right off, if you're an entomologist, you're going to be a detail person and all those scientific names, you know. And then the other one is, uh, along with attention to detail, is observation of behavior. Because all living things have behavior patterns. And that's including us. For example, tonight when we're all finished, your goal will be to go home, correct? And you're going to take the shortest possible route there, aren't you? And if I was observing... For example, if I was going to take a sample of the freeway on, or the traffic on 101, I would stand out over one of these bridges on Rancho Canejo, which, by the way, is quite a vivid thing, a whole ranch full of rabbits, <laughs> and count the cars going back and forth. If I did it one time, one day for two hours, would I have a very good sense or feel for what the real traffic patterns were? How about if I did it for two days? Not really enough, but getting a little better. How about if I did it for a week at the same time? How about if I did it a month? Well, that's how you do science. You make observations, you write the numbers down on your patented clipboard with the pen holder and the white lab coat, right? Because that's what scientists do. And after a while, you'd be able to say that eight o'clock every morning on at least Monday to Friday, you're gonna have 25,000 cars going to the bridge the overcrossing of Rancho Canejo. People are the same. They have patterns, behavior patterns. So you go home tonight, you're going to take the shortest possible route. But there's always variables, aren't there? Your goal, and this is an important point, the difference between strategy and tactics. When we're talking about warfare, both spiritual warfare and counterterrorism strategy and tactics are really important to understand. The fact that we don't is the reason why we're having so much trouble stopping the attacks. We don't understand or refuse to acknowledge the distinction between strategy and tactics. Strategy for this group tonight, using our example, is go home. That's it. Real simple, right? Go home. But what's complicated and kaleidoscopic about that going home part is how exactly are you going to do it you can go that way like the scarecrow we can go that away and or you can go that way and you're gonna you have probably each one of you know five or ten different ways you can go home but you're likely statistically going to take the shortest possible most direct route home right But even if you did this 30 days in a row, from this point, and we all, the school bell rang, and out the door we go, and all of our cars are parked in exactly the same place, like Groundhog Day, 30 days in a row, you will never arrive at home at exactly the same time. Why? Variables. Things run across the road, it's raining, the XYZ, the honeydew list, all those factors. That is what makes tactics kaleidoscopic, I say and complicated whereas all 30 of those days your goal is exactly the same your strategy is the same which is the same as a goal to get home so what is the strategy of the global Islamic movement don't take it wrong it's just an observation a point to make a rhetorical observation we should all know that shouldn't we because it says that we should be wise doesn't it If we're in spiritual warfare, for the people here in the community of faith, spiritual warfare should be very real. People that may not be or that are valiant defenders of the Constitution nonetheless need to understand the distinction between strategy and tactics because from the global Islamic perspective, the strategy is to replace our form of government, as it says in the Declaration of Independence, to alter or abolish the current form of government and replace it with one that they consider to be more acceptable in the eyes of Allah, and that is called Sharia. Sharia law, how many heard of that one? That's right, see? Now we put the pieces together. It's actually all laying there like on the table, like groceries on the counter after you went to Ralph's. Now the idea is what recipe are we going to use to put the potatoes and the green beans and the hamburgers together, right? That's what we're talking about. Strategy of the global Islamic movement is that the deen of Allah yahatinseal arts will prevail in the world. That means sharia will be dominant over all other man-made forms of government and the US constitution is not exempt from that. We're not we don't have a special exemption. Sharia considers itself to be superior to the constitution despite the apologists who say that they're compatible, but they're not. Because it's like the old thing about physics. Two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And you have that immovable object with the irresistible force, kaboom. Our country is like a sponge floating on water. By the way, let's see if I can forward this. There you go. That's the title of my talk tonight draining the swamp. Remember the swamp? Have we heard much about it lately? We haven't been hearing about it identified as a thing, but we certainly have seen all the mutant creatures that live in it, haven't we? They're hybrids, those mutants, between people have Ds after their name and people have Rs after their name. Somehow as they spent the time in a swamp, they morphed into some hybrid creature and that's what we're seeing. By the way, the resist and no walls, no borders, not our president, all that stuff that we're seeing, the, the uh, what's the acronym? Not alt-right, the other acronym, Antifa. All that was there before, but they had the option, the luxury of cover before. They were operating just as Effectively, if you will, just as with the same amount of determination, but they had cover. But since Trump win in such an unexpected lens or way, now if they're going to accomplish their strategic goals, which is to alter or abolish the current form of government and replace it with one that was more suitable, then they're forced to come out in the open. And that's the thing that happened with the election. All the election did was define the battlefield more clearly than perhaps we've seen it in a while. And now we see more clearly, like when the leaves fall off of the trees back east where we have four seasons, and then you can see the things that are back there in the woods that you didn't see during the summer. Let's just say the leaves all fell off of the trees in their world, and there they are caught in broad daylight, If they're going to accomplish the goals that they intend to, they have to continue operating more openly, like Kathy Gifford. Right. What was in her head, do you suppose? Maybe nothing. I call it an addiction. How many people had the misfortune of having an addict in their family? Mm -hmm. And what do they do? They become more and more focused like Gollum on the ring, right? And it transforms them into a hideous creature. But they continuously insist that there's nothing wrong with them. But all they can think about is that next hit, that next drink, or the next whatever it is that they're addicted to. Our fellow countrymen are in throes of addiction. We're going through a spasm of collective psychosis right now. Everywhere you look. But there is great hope, by the way, because I've been traveling all over the country and I saw something that I consider a great honor and privilege, which was the spark of hope igniting people's eyes across the country. And I said it many times that President Trump, Trump is going to win the presidency. Why? Because there's a deeper groundswell that's emerging that the mainstream media is not dropping their measuring tools down far enough into the water they're, they're measuring what's on the surface, but they're not catching the current deeper down. Thank the Lord I was right. Meaning it wasn't just my hopeful imagination of what I was observing, but what I saw across the country was actually really happening. And it was a great honor, especially when you juxtapose, juxtapose that with what I went through before when I was active duty law enforcement officer in the Department of Homeland Security, and was investigated by my own colleagues in my own agency, my own government, nine times. Imagine Flynn, Monica Crowley, Seb Gorka, um, Steve Bannon, President Trump himself, and who are they after right now, Sessions, or who is it they're after now? Yeah, oh, Sheriff Clark, that's about seven. Imagine adding two or three more on top of that and surviving it. The same individuals that are going after those people now are the same ones that came after me nine times during the course of my career. So nothing that they do surprises me because I've seen them up close and personal. And how I survived it by the grace of God was because of the lesson I learned when I was in my 30s has to do with integrity, maintaining your own personal integrity. And everybody here, by the way, has a role to play in the history of our country as we go forward, each one of you. But you really do, as the Bible talks about, sit down and count the costs. I would not recommend that you get involved if you don't intend to maintain your own personal integrity, because they will come after you. And they will aim cannon at you at point-blank range. But you have to be like Iron Man. Vroom, ping. It'll just bounce off. Because you. what does it say about the armor of God? No weapon that forms against you will prosper. If you have integrity, that will be true. However, if you don't, nothing you do will protect you. They will find the chink in your armor, and they will concentrate fire on that till they grind your face into the ground. And you see it, don't you? What happened to David Petraeus? Remember him? What did he say about Benghazi? Within seconds, meaning literal seconds, as he got the intel downloads from the theater over there in Libya, it was a group called Ansar al-Sharia. Remember them? Within seconds, literally, if not minutes, but not more than that, the executive branch of our own federal government created a false narrative and started promoting it to the American people that it was a video, remember? Well, what happened to David Petraeus? What was he doing? Something he wasn't supposed to be doing, right? Lack of integrity brought him down, and therefore the adversaries that are trying to alter or abolish this current form of government prevailed in that case, and he never did get to state the plainly obvious fact that it was a group called Ansar al-Sharia. Does anyone here know what that means? I'll tell you. Ansar means helper al-Sharia. We've heard that word. The helpers of Sharia. Why did they pick that name? Of all the names, you think it was arbitrary or accidental? No, it was baked on Quran 551. Do not be like the unbelievers, otherwise you become like them. Don't be ansarfi uh, al-kufarin, don't help them, otherwise you become like them. It's against Sharia law to take help from non-believers. So they found themselves in a dilemma. And how do they push the reset button and recapture that theater? By killing the example of the help that they received from people like the U.S. government. They killed him. They call themselves Ansar al-Sharia on purpose. To reset the narrative from a global Islamic perspective, we have recaptured the territory by killing the symbol of the ones who helped us. It's Quranic. That's strategy and tactics, friends. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? The answer to that question is yes. That's why I called the book See Something Say Nothing. By the way, it's a live story. It's not over. Nothing that I talked about in the book has been resolved to this very day. We're in a new administration. Thank the Lord for that. However, it's like a balloon, it's getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> It's not getting smaller and smaller as time goes on and those events recede into the past, no. The events are intruding themselves into the headlines virtually every day. I can see it because it's my perspective. But we'll look, about, we'll look at this as we go forward. But it's not diminishing, it's increasing. That's a powerful story. And the reason why it's important is because it's not about me. It's about us. This is a story about America. What happened to our country in the last 10 or 15 years that brought us to the place where we can't barely tell our left hand from our right hand? How did that happen? Well, because of amazing sequence of events, I happened to be there on the ground when it all started. I was a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security. We knew about it for about a year before, but it was inaugurated like the champagne bottle on the ship bow in March of 2003 and now here we are in 2017 and I saw all of it like newly planted corn in the garden emerge right up at my feet and grow bigger and bigger every year and to the point where we were basically shut down, blindfolded and handcuffed from doing our job through the policies, the directives and the decisions of essentially the Obama administration now we've come out of that. And before I forget to make the point, I want to mention that we should not only be focused on where we're going, that's important, but let us never forget what we were delivered from. Because I can promise you, friends, this kind of a meeting would have been on the verge of illegal if Hillary Clinton had won. Because we would have been accused of hate speech or some form of phobia. And they would have Broken through these doors if they needed to and disrupted the meeting. How many times have you seen that? And hauled somebody like myself off and they don't care about due process or whether it's legal. That's not a consideration. And that's one of the tactical advantages that we, disadvantages that we have is that even when we are involved in a noble cause, we will not give ourselves permission to do something immoral in a general sense, do we? We don't believe in breaking the rules to accomplish something that's supposedly good, do we? That's a disadvantage tactically, because they do. They're not restrained by that. However, there's another thing called wisdom, and that's what we really need. And the other thing that we need is the foundation of what our country was actually founded on, what was our country founded on. I, did I finish about the sponge or did I even start the sponge thing we're, I think I started we're a sponge floating on water right there's a lot of other sponges bouncing around in this big thing of water they're countries and they bounce, they float around they bump into each other in this big pool of water the thing is, is you cannot take the sponge out of the water because that's the world we live in we float in the water we can't be taken out of it so what it naturally happens to a sponge as it sits there in the water, right? Saturation. By the way, I want to coin a phrase, because there are words what I call Novocaine words. If you hear a word infiltration, in all honesty, what does your brain do when you hear that word? Zzz. turns off, doesn't it? Novocaine. It's like you got a shot right in the noggin. You can't even think. Because you heard the word so many times, it doesn't mean anything. In science, that's called attenuation. Try it. Smell a rose. About five or ten smells in, you won't be able to smell it anymore. It's, you're saturated or infiltrated. So rather than use words that we hear all the time that have lost their meaning, I have a new phrase. It's a common word, saturation. Because that's the tactics of the global Islamic movement. One of two things. Saturate from the bottom up, And if you want to speed the process up of the natural saturation of the water into the sponge, what are you going to do? Push on it from above. Or really grab it and squeeze the heck out of it, right, in the water to saturate that sponge with water. So that's the point of the tactics of terrorist attacks. Put pressure on the sponge, push it down into the water and cause that saturation to happen faster. And we'll get to it. There are three major arenas, social, political, and law enforcement, where this saturation process happens. And we're seeing all three of them in play right now. My arena, my background, my particular focus area is I'm talking to you from the law enforcement officer, cop, federal officer, wore a gun for a living, interviewed terrorists. That's the way I see. That's the main focus that I have. Some of you may be called in the social arena, Some of you may be called in the political arena, but all of you have a place like a brick in a wall, all of us, because it still is a country of, for, and by the people. And that's the thing I saw, the spark of that realization when I traveled across the country, which was a great privilege and honor, because after all, I'm a steward of the story that I'm talking about tonight. In order for to maintain the stewardship of that story, of the guardian of it, I have to maintain my own personal integrity. If I shipwreck myself, then the story is shipwrecked too, right? If I discredit myself, there goes a story out the window. We've seen it over and over, haven't we? This is a remarkable picture for a lot of reasons. This is in Raqqa in Syria. That you've heard the headlines just floats through the mainstream lately that they're about to take the city back with the help of U.S. forces. Well, look in the background. That's a giant approaching storm, and they're distracted by it because it's what's called the Hamsin, which means fifty in Arabic and in Hebrew. The storms last a long time, sometimes fifty days, and dump. Remember. Uh, Hidalgo? Is it Hidalgo? Hidalgo yeah. yeah that He got caught in one, remember? And he got buried in the sand. And he was racing away from it to find refuge. Well, that's called a calm scene, And it's a really good allegory for the world we live in today. There's a storm coming. And these guys are looking at it. But what's all this stuff on the ground? Yeah. They're burkas. Well, where are the people that used to be in them? Huh? Somewhere else. (laughs) And do we know who they are? That's a perfect allegory for the immigration problem we're facing. Who are these people? We have no clue who they are whatsoever. They're like chameleons. Those are like cocoons from uh, caterpillars. And they've transformed into an entirely different creature, and we have no idea who they really are. So, I found that to be a remarkably captivating picture that al illustrates the nature of the conflict that we're in, the challenge that we face right there in a battlefield setting. There are valves that are open that should be closed those are called leaks, and there are valves that are closed that should be open and My hope is to be redeputized and go back and help President Trump drain the swamp and to close some of the valves that need to be closed. Stop the leaks and drain the swamp. But even after we drain the swamp, then you got all that nasty goo that's down on the bottom of the swamp and you're gonna have to put on the hazmat suits and go down there and goo up to your chest like you're doing fly fishing in Oregon and reach down and grab all that stuff that's been tossed overboard in the middle of the night, year after year after year, by mostly, but not entirely, this former administration. And then pull it up out of the goo, wash it all off like in the treasure movies, put it in the fresh water and let all the corrosion and all the salts get out of it and then open it up and see what's there. Well, I know where a lot of that stuff is. And I'm going to tell President Trump the first time I get to just be prepared. You should hold your nose because it's going to stink to high heaven, believe me. And you're starting to get an idea of that, aren't we? Some very nasty creatures. We have a government of for and by the people, and even its best, federal and state governments can only reach out so far. We need to re-realize that. We've been depending on our big buddy over there in Washington to reach down and just push the magic easy button and fix everything for us. That's why states have rights. The 10th Amendment. Changes must also come from those working at the grassroots level. If they don't come from the grassroots level, bottom up and inside out, it won't work. And that's basically what we've been seeing. Our government has become dysfunctional because we've forgotten who we are. It starts with us. You agree with that? So that'll be your first homework assignment. Think about what it is I can do. And I also want you to banish, um, sequester the word only. Well, I only. Because in God's economy, you cannot calculate what you do contribution you cannot quantify the contribution that you make i do know one thing president trump won against all impo- ridiculously preposterous odds didn't he that means that everybody in this room that was involved played a role c- contributed some quantity to the equation that led to that spectacular upset didn't you we all did So don't think of yourself as, uh, it's only me. There's only so much I can do. Because it's a full-time job, first and foremost, to begin and maintain your own personal integrity. And then as the Bible says, having done all, easy words to say, but not so hard, not so easy to come to, to figure out. And after you do that, then you have to stand. Stand. Anybody in the military ever done D&C before? That means drill and ceremony. You know, like, drop down and give me 50 now. Standing at attention for 45 minutes while the bureaucrat from D.C. shakes every one of their hands in the class, and then you're only halfway finished. He goes on for another 45 minutes with the other half of the class. You're about to faint on your feet. Some people do. DNC, drill and ceremony. That's the marching stuff. Lift, hoop, lift, right. That's drill and ceremony. It's not easy to stand. That's my point. It takes a lot of effort. But then only after you've determined that you've done all. And how do we come to terms with that? It's different for each one of us. That's our primary responsibility. Doesn't that sound like kind of a full-time job in itself? So even as best, the federal government can only reach out so far. I can't reach any further to you. Somebody's going to have to make an effort for you to reach toward me. And if you make the effort, then maybe we can do it. And we make the circuit, and then it works the way it's supposed to, but not until. And there are challenges all across the country, in Cobb, Nebraska, and everywhere else in between, of intrusions and efforts by the either the progressive leftists or the global Islamic movement to alter or abolish the current form of government and replace it with one that they consider to be more suitable. The reason why I keep going back to that quote is because another thing we need to do is change the channel. I'm tired of watching the channel with all the commercials, aren't you? Let's change the channel to the Constitution channel and base your responses, your strategies, your tactics on that. And that's why I emphasize things from, the, for example, the Declaration. How do you define what they are trying to do? Don't let them define it. We'll define it. You are trying to alter or abolish the form of government that we're living under. But you forgot about Article 6 of the Constitution that says that U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land and that the judges of each state are bound thereby. Have we seen any examples of judges in states or districts that are not being bound by the Constitution lately? How about the 4th Circuit and the Ninth Circuit? Did they base their decisions on 8 U.S.C. 1132? Another pop quiz, how many know what that is? That's the basis, the law that the EO was written on that gives President Trump absolute authority to refuse entry to anyone from any place for any reason if it has to do with national security. Period. It's law. He has the right to do it, but none of the decisions that you've been hearing about from the 4th or the ninth Circuit have ever even addressed 8 U.S.C. 1132, because what are they saying? Trump said things during the campaign that make him incapable of exercising his authority as a president. That's a pretty bold statement, wouldn't you say? Isn't that what they're basing it on then? And we hold these truths to be self evident and so on. We, we've heard this that we're, we, we are endowed by our Creator. Who endowed us with these rights? Uh huh. That means no, no one can take them away from us unless we let them. It's like your own virtue. No one can take your virtue from you unless you let someone take it from you. That in order to secure these rights, the governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. What does that mean? It means the the Lord, the the one who was and is and will be forever. We sang the song. By the way, the name Yahweh also often said Jehovah, the four letters of the name of God, is simply the verb to be. That's what that name means. Past, present, future, compressed into one, and superimposed over that is the concept of existence itself, to be or not to be. That's what the name of God means, to be, to exist. The self-existent God who created the universe, who was, is, and will be forever. He surpasses time. He's the one who instituted the government to protect the rights that he gave us. So why are we always debating whether or not we should be involved as members of the community of faith in the government? Remember what happened with Romney? Oh, we won't vote for Romney because he's a Mormon. And so they didn't. And look what we got instead. Instead of evaluating on the best basis of which of the two candidates is more likely to uphold the, val- the principles of the Constitution, right? Because we're not electing a church board. We're electing the rep- executive of a constitutional republic. That's what we should form the basis of when we vote. That's our obligation to participate in the government that the Lord himself instituted among men. That's why our country is so unique because we recognize that. That, my friends, is what we're fighting for. Is that worth fighting for? You bet. Saturation, I mentioned this already. That's Sandy Rios. Anybody listen to her show sometimes? Anyway, I was on with... uh, Trevor Loudon, some of you know about the movie, The Enemies Within, and Jim Simpson, part of what I call the alliance. And she coined this phrase, you know, the Civil War 2017. We've already gone over this concept of saturation, so I won't belabor it. By the way, always look, I put the dates. I want you to see that everything I'm telling you about is all current, very recent. Also, if you like a copy of the PowerPoint, because all of the resources the links, etc., where I get all this stuff is down in the notes section of the PowerPoint. You open it up to the open part of this PowerPoint program. You'll see where I put all the notes in the bottom. So you can walk yourself right back through it and look everything up and what I call master the subject yourself. So whoever your coordinator is, has the PowerPoint, just ask them for it. You have my complete permission to use it and go study through it. The border protection now, you notice, is called racism. Observing the law is called discrimination. And threat awareness is called fear-mongering. I'm fear-mongering right now. I'm probably guilty of racism and also discrimination for simply pointing these things out. That's the point we've gotten to in our country now. And I noticed as I was traveling around earlier, it's it's considered an upsetting topic, topic, what I'm discussing, for three reasons. That no one told us about this you know how come we didn't know about this stuff already and what about DHS I thought they were supposed to be the ones that are protecting us from problems with immigration and problems with counterterrorism so how is it that the problems that we have in those two arenas actually ended up coming out of the very organization that was created to protect us from it that would make anybody mad as Yosemite Sam wouldn't it our nation social arena I mentioned this already the flashpoint is immigration reform we've seen that why are we told we need immigration for diversity and inclusion right we're not diverse enough and we don't know what's good for us so we need more immigration that's a social arena and we're seeing that right now on the daily headlines the next arena is political the flashpoint for that is the alliance with Israel, i.e. in particular, moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Haven't you heard a lot about that lately? And the other one for law enforcement is the Muslim Brotherhood designation. We have to get to the wherewithal point where we have the wherewithal to recognize who our our enemies actually are. Not the ones over in Syria, not even the ones on the border maybe, but the ones that are standing right here and live in places like Calabasas and Thousand Oaks and Ventura and L.A. and all those other places, right? There's a concept I call beautiful evil. We're all really good at noticing or identifying ugly evil, aren't we? We see plenty of it, don't we? But what we're not so good, we have an Arnie Schwarzenegger arm, very strong, or for recognizing ugly evil, but a tiny little T-Rex arm for recognizing beautiful evil the suit and tie kind of evil, the smooth-talking legal process kind of evil that takes everything you have and you didn't even know they did it. That's what our real adversary is in our open society is recognizing those who are seeking to subvert us through deception and persuasion and coercion, also called lawfare. Social arena, these are just some examples. Anybody recognize that person? Mm -hmm. she said that UC police cannot cooperate with the federal government vis-a-vis immigration. That doesn't shock me, because that's exactly the same thing she said to us when she was DHS secretary. You are not allowed to uphold your vow of office. You will do what we tell you, otherwise you will suffer the consequences. And that's exactly what happened. Now she's out here inflicting herself on my poor alma mater, and told the the, uh, UC police that if you don't cooperate, you will suffer the consequences. You're not allowed to interact with federal law enforcement vis-a-vis immigration. That's audacious, friends. Sessions needs to serve her with an injunction order and perp walk her right down the street if she doesn't comply with it. And you'll know that the things are starting to change when you see people like her having injunctions served on them. Until that point, whatever enough is, you know, enough is enough. You know, when Popeye says, I stands all I can stand, and I can't stand no more, and it's time for a thing of spinach, right? Enough with that, Bluto. Well, that's enough is enough. And maybe some of us need to start figuring out when we're going to open a can of spinach, because otherwise this kind of stuff's going to keep happening. As long as they keep getting away with it, they're going to keep doing it. And she made that declaration before the inauguration. Wait a minute. What about all the criticism that Trump received saying that he wasn't sure about the election? Remember how they pounced on him like uh, ducks on a June bug? Remember that? And then it turns out that they're the very ones that won't accept the outcome of the election. So she's making these declarations before he even became president. Care you heard of them right? Here they're they're criticizing the executive order calling it a Muslim ban. Again, this is like a buffet. What's the best Chinese food restaurant in Thousand Oaks? I don't know, but if I was if I had a need for three days and I went there, I don't care how hungry I am, I could only eat so much, even at a buffet, right? Find out, tell me. You go now. You here too long. Remember that. <laughs> this subject is same. You can only eat so much of this stuff. So that's why I say take the PowerPoint. You're going to fl- you're, we're water skiing over it as it is, and walk your way back through it, and you're going to find things that are going to make you want to sh- throw shoes against the wall. Because that's the natural reaction, either anger or fear. We tend to either become angry or become fearful. But amazingly, the Bible doesn't authorize us to respond in either one. We're not authorized, according to the Bible, to respond in fear or anger because the fear of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God, nor does anger. Nothing that we do in either fear or anger will endure into eternity. So what's left? The support of the Holy Spirit, which was referred to tonight in the song. That's the only way we can navigate through all of this. Otherwise, as he said... If we don't have a love for the truth, we're going to be blinded and deceived by iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. It is a mystery because every time you ask, why did they do that awful, horrible thing? You are verbalizing the existence of the thing called the mystery of iniquity. It's a mystery because we can't easily figure it out. But it doesn't have to remain hidden. We're supposed to have eyes that see. You know, we can see things that through the glass... Remember, the, through the glass, darkly? By the way, I looked up the word darkly. It doesn't mean darkly. The word in Greek is enigmata. We see into the, any, the mystery of eternity. We have the ability to see ahead. Pretty amazing gift, huh? Then we should use it, shouldn't we? And you can do it in the secular arena. Most of what I'm talking about is secular, but not really only. Because there's a certain point where the principalities and powers merge into the invisible, and you really can't tell anymore where all this gravitational force is actually coming from. But it's real, then, isn't it? Like, can you tell me what the cha- how chocolate tastes? Can anybody tell me what chocolate tastes like? N e s t l e s, right? Chocolate. No, we can't. Why? Because it's abstract. We don't have words that allow us to describe the taste of chocolate. But we all know what it tastes like, don't we? And there are things that in this arena that we're working in that are so abstract, i.e., spiritual, that we have a very difficult time putting words into it. And that's the job of people in counterintelligence, is to translate this amorphous, kaleidoscopic, ever-changing thing into what are called the dots. Remember those? Those little dots? So CARE is opposed to Trump's thing. CARE is a front group for Hamas. CARE should have no voice whatsoever in any of the three arenas, social, political, or law enforcement. But they have saturated themselves into each one of those arenas and and have an inordinate amount of influence in those three arenas, which they should have none. That's why we need to shut down the Muslim Brotherhood, designate them as a terrorist group. Because I, for one, am really and truly sick and tired of having them rear their heads in the media every time they they don't like some policy or, or law enforcement-based counterterrorism effort. And Trump travel ban decision, politics, not the law, in the Fourth Circuit. This just came out. What's the date? Today. This is all going on now. See, right in front of us. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right. <laughs> this is it. This is the. Uh, this is the malevolent Oz that we're looking at right here. Political arena, I just showed you a little bit of social, flashpoint being immigration. Political is moving the embassy, and you think that that's not a serious flashpoint? Here's, remember, anybody know who this guy is? I call him the kid. His name is Sadr. His father was a famous Ayatollah, and now he is one too. And he runs the Mahdi army, 10,000 men army in southern Iraq out of Basra is poised in any particular minute to exert influence vis-a-vis Iran on the the dynamics in Iraq. They've infiltrated even into the Sunni armies, even though they're Shia related to Iran and Hezbollah. We can't tell the difference between them. Anyway, he's telling us if we move our embassy that we're going to suffer great, grave consequences. That's a challenge to our sovereignty just on that basis alone we ought to do it and not netanyahu even people within his own administration why for what purpose are they saying that we'll accomplish if we don't move our our embassy to jerusalem why am i focusing on this because it has to do with sovereignty that's the point friends yes i I'm focusing on Israel because I think it's the center point of virtually everything that's going on, but nonetheless, it's also a potent example of the challenge to our own sovereignty, our right to form alliances with other countries on the basis that we see fit. The whole world is telling us, no, you can't do it, and you better not, otherwise we'll get mad and we'll do something to you. President Trump should move it, there's just a point-counterpoint. So there's a big argument going on right now, and I think Thursday is his deadline. I talked with a group of Israelis earlier this morning. They think probably better than 50-50. He's going to extend it again for another six months. Nonetheless, he's moving in the right direction. So that's your second homework assignment. Keep your eyes on immigration and this whole issue with the embassy. If you want to see what's really a condensation of how the world we relate to the world. Remember the sponges? How we bounce into the other sponges. Keep your eye on these examples. And then five questions on the potential move of the Australian embassy. This is pushing itself into the mainstream headlines now. This is also from today. And once again, get a hold of the PowerPoint. Go look at all the URLs down at the bottom and you can read up on all this stuff. Law enforcement, that's mine. FBI sued for civil rights violations for surveilling Muslims near San Bernardino. What's the date? Do you remember something that happened 20 days before then? Huh? Right. This is care again. Now, wait a minute. This is not even three weeks after the San Bernardino, and they have the audacity to sue the FBI. For trying to do law enforcement based counterterrorism. You see what I mean? Why I'm sick of them? They should have no standing because they're affiliated with Hamas. That was proven in 2008 in what's called the Holy Land Foundation trial. None of that has changed from then until now. None. Care again. Care asks. Air Force, to drop an Islamic phobic instructor linked to anti-Muslim propaganda group. What is that supposed to mean? What is he actually teaching about? Sharia law. Remember I said that they would find people like me a basis to haul us out, put us in a black and white out there for violating some provision of hate speech? It's not a joke. That's March of this year. These people are very, very active in these arenas, and they're not going to voluntarily withdraw. By the way, we ourselves only have two choices, and standing still is not one of them at this point. So what are the other two? Backward or forward? How many of us guys like going backwards? We'll go five miles out of the way not to go backwards, (laughs) won't we? Turn around. Forget that. I'll find a way. <laughs> Lawmakers say intel agencies are stonewalling investigations into the surveillance. This is just one gigantic schmozzle. You know what a schmozzle is? Schmozzle's that. A messed up situation. It gets more messed up every day. And by the way, as a cop, I knew, I call it fatal, uh, Comey's fatal flaw, fatal moment, when he took a breath, and then he said, but no reasonable judge would take the case, that's like slow motion crash scene, that's when the trailer comes off the pickup, and the trailer goes that way, and the tra- pickup goes that way, all it is now is just cringing, waiting to see what that trailer's going to hit, because when he made that statement, he crossed the line, he went out of his range, he, he basically violated his own professional integrity. And people would ask me over and over before the election, who's gonna be FBI director when Trump wins? Not Comey. I don't like being right, but I was right. Because we cops knew it at that moment. That was that fatal moment. One breath determined his destiny. I'll show you an opposite example. You guys any of you heard about me talk about the sixty seven records that were deleted out of the system related to the San Bernardino case? Have you? I worked on a case at the National Targeting Center, the Secret Squirrel Headquarters of DHS, where everything is in code and acronym. And I worked on this case called the Tablighi Jamaat Initiative, which is global and level about a group with between 75 and 125 million members around the world who also come here to the United States. And we tagged 1,600 different individuals in a database, and we had... 1,200 law enforcement actions based on the case in the first nine months of it. Plus, I myself, if you look in the book in the back, has a commendation from NTC for finding 300 terrorists related to the case. 300. If you put all the people that have done the major attacks since 9-11 in one, you can put them all in one hand. It's 15 or 20 total. Imagine finding 300 but not despite all that evidence, the Civil Rights and Civil Liberties branch of DHS and the Department of State under Hillary Clinton shut the case down. They said that I was violating the civil rights and civil liberties of foreign nationals, and they convened a grand jury to find probable cause to indict me and put me in jail for violation of the civil rights and privacy rights of foreign nationals. And they would have done it. But those records were deleted out of the system in September of 2012. December 2nd, 2015 is the San Bernardino attack. About, what is that? Three and a half or two and a half years later. And my premise is that we could have helped stop that attack. And by the way, Orlando, because it's related to the same network, if the government had come in and taken all that information out of the system and blinded us and handcuffed us. They not only took the information out of the system, they investigated me. They put me under investigation again. In the last 11 months of my career, they took my gun, which is like being stripped naked in public, for law enforcement officer it is, cut off access to the systems, revoked my secret clearance, sequestered me in a little room with no assigned job duties for the last 11 months while I waited for the results of three simultaneous investigations to be concluded. That was how I ended my career. But it was like a sabbatical. I didn't have any job duties. So what did I do? I got all my papers and files and memos and everything else all ordered in chronological order and four big old fat binders like this and got everything set up in my mind how to write the book. And when I retired, I within three days, I shook hands on the contract and I wrote the book in 17 days, writing 4,500 words a minute. Boy, when that thing let go, it let go. And there was very little uh, changes that the editors made in it, including the citations and the bibliography, nothing, because I spent all this time getting ready to do it. But as I said, it's a live story. There's more to come. This is the good part. There's... And meanwhile, you ever heard of the CVE, Countering Violent Extremism Program? You have. See something, say something. That's what it represents. Well, after all the drama and ceremony, they find out in April of this year that the program was completely ineffective. So all that handcuffing and blindfolding and deleting of information out of the system, all it did was nothing. It didn't help us one bit. And who persuaded the Obama administration to adopt that policy? The Muslim Brotherhood, who met with him 150 times in the White House while I was still on active duty. Can you see why I might have been in trouble so much? And it wasn't just domestic either, by the way. We backed the Muslim Brotherhood in the Middle East in the thing called al Araba Arabia, you know of it as the Arab Spring. We backed the Muslim Brotherhood. We also backed them in Syria, they were the the uh, carefully vetted moderates. Remember them? All four of them? And we were providing weapons to, um, what was it? Al-Qaeda of Iraq, Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, I'm having a mental block on the third one right now. Um, and we encouraged them to take eastern Syria as a buffer. Did they do it? Think about it. Yeah, they did. They took eastern Syria as a buffer between Iran and Assad. And then what did they do? Imagine you're there in eastern Syria. Hey, Abdul, look, Fallujah, wide open. Let's take it. And they did. What is that group called? ISIS. It's a Frankenstein that escaped from the laboratory. There's another one. They're called Taliban. Where do they come from? Afghanistan. They're Frankensteins that we basically helped create, and now they've escaped rah, into the world. <laughs> so which means the sad truth about that is you follow it through. What did the actions of ISIS precipitate? Refugee crisis and the murder of people with this on their doors. This is the Arabic letter in Nun for Nasrin, It's like a black Passover. When they painted this on your house, that means they were going to kill you. It's a symbol of the persecuted church in the Middle East. So all this stuff is going on at the same time, friends. I don't think my uh, snazzy PowerPoint stuff is working, but it's okay. You can just go back. This is a thing that we found out, and in order to facilitate the Iran agreement, President Trump Obama did exactly the same thing to investigators that were working on derogatory stuff going on in that arena as he did in my arena, shutting cases down. He shut down investigations of individuals and organizations that already had derogatory information on them so that he could facilitate the deal. He put us in jeopardy. He abrogated his constitutional duty, which primarily is to protect the citizens of America from threat, both foreign and domestic, and we're still sorting out the tangled mess that this administration left behind. I'm a living example of it. But if I hadn't maintained my integrity, it wouldn't I wouldn't be standing here in front of you, would I? There's this guy that wants to come and speak, but the government says that he broke law twenty seven point dash three and that he's unreliable. Would you come? If you had any hint of doubt that maybe I really was um guilty of something, some violation? No, you probably wouldn't, would you? Not likely. Other examples? Well, this is spectacular. I know you can't read it, but the date, February twentieth, 2017. This particular paragraph, oops, went the wrong way. This one, paragraph G, on page five of this particular one says, no longer will privacy rights be afforded foreign nationals and lawful permanent residents and it will also apply to information put in the law enforcement database. What did I tell you already that I was investigated for? Violation, potential violation of privacy rights and civil rights and civil liberties of foreign nationals. And why was the information taken out of the database? For the same reason. Secretary Kelly signs this memo, this directive, on the 20th of February, saying that no longer will privacy rights. You have to bring it back into alignment with existing law. Well, wait a minute. If you bring the privacy right act into alignment with existing law, what does that imply? It is not in ex- alignment with existing law. Which means what, friends? Pres- Secretary Kelly, whether he realized or not, proved that I was investigated illegally and that the information that was taken out of the system was removed illegally. What would you do in a case like that? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put all this FOIA information and let signed letters, notice this is current administration, into a chronologically arranged package, and I'm going to go to the Intelligence, Judiciary, House, Homeland Security, and Senate, and literally hand them a package of information. Say, here's the case. Everything you need. FOIA and historical documents proving that the whole thing about the Tablighi Jamaat initiative that was shut down and led to San Bernardino and Orlando was illegal. And this is another one from the Department of State saying, oh, this is the real killer and that is that is that they're saying in these three signed letters, state, CRCL, and DHS-CBP, my agency, that the Tablighi Jamaat case never existed. Well, wait a minute. I just told you about a letter in the back of the book that I got commended for finding 300 terrorists related to the case that doesn't exist. There's a big problem here, friends. And now you see why I say we have to resolve this. What's gonna happen if we don't resolve this? More of the same kind of stuff. It's like a mathematical equation. What happens when you continue adding variables to the equation? It solves it. And it's gonna solve the same every time. Remember what I talked about from the very beginning about, you know, kidding around a little bit about entomology, being a careful observer of behavior and fine attention to detail. Now you see how they connect. Because in counterterrorism, as in entomology, with me, I studied ants. All you have to do is follow the trail and you'll find the nest. And that's how they merge. I use the same approach in counterterrorism that I did as a UC-trained scientist in my first career. And it works. And it did work so well that they had to delete the information out of the system in order to maintain the narrative that they were trying to promote. There's three levels, by the way. The first is ignore it. We see that a lot. Just passive ignore it. Hopefully it'll go away. But the work that myself and others did was so good, they couldn't ignore it. So then the next step is a lot more intentional. They deleted the information. They can't just ignore it. Now they have to remove it. But even that wasn't enough. What would be the next step after deleting the information? Come after the people that put it in in the first place. There you go. And that's what they did. I saw all three, usually, often, simultaneously. And the Federal Register, this highlighted stuff, is another part of the swamp. That highlighted stuff simply says that anybody that's affiliated with a terrorist organization that's part of their normal cultural activity can still get a visa to come to America. Did you know that? It's right there in the Federal Register. And guess who signed that? Jay Johnson. You remember Congress is supposed to make laws? And then what comes after that? An outburst of executive orders, remember all those? And then what comes after that? Directives signed by Secretaries of Homeland Security. That's the third level. The fourth level is no review whatsoever or accountability. Simply drop it literally in the middle of the night into the federal registry and unilaterally change immigration policy with no review whatsoever. And that's where we caught two friends. This is primarily going to be originating in countries that President Trump named in the executive order to try to study for 90 days what trends were developing, like counting cars on the freeway there, I'd mention, and see where the weak spots is so we can improve it. And our country's leaders won't even allow him to do that. And people that are known affiliates of Hamas are making the most noise about it. What do you think A person that's a cop would feel like that, about that. My cruise control personality is like 50% Clark Kent. Just real easy going, you know. And about maybe 30% Steve Martin. I believe that humor is still legal, so we should use it while we can, right? But 20% of me is Chuck Norris. Because you can't be a cop if you don't at least have some streak of Chuck Norris in you. Unless you're Barney Fife, right? <laughs> but there are certain things that turn me into uh, Chuck Norris, and counterterrorism one of them, and human trafficking is the other one, especially abuse of women and girls. That turns me into a real mean critter, real fast. I have no mercy on those guys at all. So here's the thing with the the uh, directive: it just tells you about bringing the privacy rights back into alignment, and so on having to do with, see, lawful permanent residents and foreign nationals. So this is monumental. This hasn't hit the news at all, and yet it's probably going to be one of the more significant directives that has been uh, brought forward so far in the administration because it's going to have a massive effect on our immigration and counterterrorism policy. I hope that I meet the person who wrote this because I'm going to shake their hand and buy them a cup of coffee because you know how much cops love coffee, Right? (laughs) I'll actually spring for a cup of coffee because whoever wrote this really knew the subtleties of what we're facing and put it into the directive. Let's see here. That's what I referred to earlier, 8 U.S.C. 1132. You can see it's very straightforward. The president has carte blanche authority to restrict entry to anybody that he deems a national security concern. But we're not operating on the basis of law. We're violating the uh, Article Six of the Constitution virtually every single day. I never exaggerate, and I don't lie. That's how I survived. I always state plainly what fact is. They're called declarative statements, statements that you make that can be proven with fact. And I'm going to make one now, that if we don't resolve this stuff this, that I'm showing you now, we're gonna have more attacks like the ones we already have. That's why it's so important for us to resolve it, because we have wide open holes. They knew the Sarnea brothers, they knew Syed Farouk. they knew Tafshin Malik, they knew Enrique Marquez, they knew Omar Mateen, they knew Nidal Hassan, they were on their law enforcement radar, every single one of them, and nobody intervened effectively to stop them, and every one of them went on and committed large-scale terrorist attacks. And that's on the FBI side. There's also my agency, CBP. We knew. That's the point. What happened in Manchester? What are you hearing? We knew. He was on the radar and we let him go, right? And now we find out it was not only him, but a huge network. From one of the countries in the EO, which is what? Libya. The bomber was from Libya and his family in the network. Anti-Gaddafi, jihadis, the British government- Hosted them, they came and they lived there and then they went back to Libya and one of the sons of that people that they showed kindness to blew up those girls in Manchester. Peace in our time. That's what I talked about earlier, the Iran giveaway, so I won't go over that. Here's more. By the way, I just got back from Israel. I watched President Obama, boss, tell President Trump that we're raising our children and our grandchildren in peace while I literally the very same day went out and walked around Bejala in the West Bank and took pictures of this mural right here, which is underneath in Arabic. These guys are shahids. They're jihadis that died killing Israelis. And this is a symbol of their organization right there, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, a global terrorist organization. Has that mural been spray-painted or defaced? No. And this right here, that's a Palestinian ship coming back to a land earth, no Israel, the crescent superimposed over the cross with no Judean, a Judaic presence at all. And that word right down there in Arabic says sanaud, we shall return. That's the vision of the one-state solution or the two-state solution, whichever way you want to put it, on the ground. And that's what we need to base our foreign policy on is what they think. Not what we think they should, but what they say on the ground. How are we doing on time? Do you want to leave some time for yeah. yeah, I'm almost done, I think. I'll just fly through the rest of it. That, by the way, is the place they're coming back to. Does anybody know where that is? That's Tel Aviv. That's what Tel Aviv looks like today. If you can enlarge that, look over there. It's like downtown L.A. Huge hall buildings. This is what they're going to push the Jews into the sea from. They're going to come back and trample all this, according to them. Okay, and this is just a different thing. That This is uh, supremacy. This is Golgotha. Anybody been to the Garden Tomb in Israel? Well, they built a wall on top of it. Maybe you haven't been there since they built the wall. And this is the shahada. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And all over there, this part over there, which is right there, says, Makbar al-Mujahideen al-Muslimuna. You can hear the second word, didn't you? This is the graveyard of the Muslim jihadis. They put it right on top of Golgotha on purpose so that everybody in the world that sees that knows immediately what the symbolism is, supremacy. Of course, the Quran teaches that Christ was not crucified. So that means all the people that are over here in the garden, which is right about here, according to Islam, are misguided souls that believe in something that didn't even happen. Now here, just a couple days ago, Trump finds out that Abbas lied to him and goes, according to this, raged at him, and everybody, amazingly, was shocked. Shocked, I tell you, shocked. So uh, he's starting to catch on. And if you watch, Trump made four speeches, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Palestine, and NATO. And he was the least cordial and coolest when he talked to Abbas, because at this time he already knew that Abbas had misled him when he was in D.C. about a month ago. MB, this is the symbol of the Muslim Brotherhood. We're not going to have a lot of chance to talk about it right yet, but this verb is from Quran 860. It's wa'idu, It means prepare to slaughter them. If this is a modern organization, friends, then you tell me what does a radical one look like. So we're going to just fly through this because this is all in progress meaning Ted Cruz is trying to get them designated, but they won't read the bill off the floor of the House or the Senate. Still going on. Meanwhile, the MB is pushing members of Congress, which they shouldn't even have a right to walk around in the halls of Congress, to not designate them. And where are we at? And here I have just another current thing from maybe there two. 23,000 jihadis are now, they know, they're admitting, are in UK that they're trying to track. You know how many people crossed the southern border down there by San Diego in 2015 from special interest countries? Anybody know? Special interest countries are the ones like in the EO from hotspots, 31,000. All right, I'm going to continue on. The struggle of man against power is a struggle of memory against Forgetting. Anybody ever heard the Hebrew word zakor? It means remember. It's one of the most common words in the whole Hebrew Bible. Don't forget, we're also called to remember, not to forget. But the hard part is to recognize that these things even happen in the first place, and that's what we need to come back to, friends—a re-declaration of independence. We need to be partisans, not political, with a D or an R but for the Constitution. We need to become constitutional partisans. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate for the stormy present. That's what Abraham Lincoln said to Congress. The occasion is piled high with difficulties, but we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew, and we must act anew. We must all disenthrall ourselves Then we shall save our country, the last best hope on earth. Is that a high calling, would you say? I hope we have more men and are statesmen that speak like that, and women, in the days, months, and years ahead, that can verbalize the, the deepest feelings that we have for things that are noble and right